0: Raise a spoon to Grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They participating in McDonald's for a limited time.
1: You know Jimmy and I put in our request today to Mr. Garrison for the tunes so you all will get to experience our tasting Christmas music. It is the last show before Christmas with the snowpocalypse on the way in Indy. A guy that does not have to worry about that is our next guest, Fernando Ramirez, because... There's never a snow apocalypse in Los Angeles and Fernando it is wise by you that you will be staying in LA. I do not blame you one bit for Monday night football between the Colts and the Chargers. My man, it is good to have you. Fernando Ramirez joins us right now, covers the Chargers for the Sporting Tribune. Fernando, the last 3 for the Chargers, we were talking about it on your podcast the other day, at Indy taking on the Rams at home and then at Denver. What's the vibe right now for the Chargers in those last three as they compete for their play, uh, hopeful playoff spot.
2: Well, Brandon, hold on. Well, Like The Rock says in WWE, whoa, 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 whoa. There was snow that fell in Huntington Beach on the pier. You're oh, kidding. Not by the pier, but over by the boardwalk. People are not allowed to skate. They're not allowed to ride their bikes. The apocalypse is finally happening. Wow. <laughs> so people are freaking out in L.A. because snow fell on the on the Huntington boardwalk. People are like, where are we supposed to ride our bike? What is going on? So, hey, there, there's, there's problems out here in California. It's not how sunshines and rainbows so uh but so but you're giving us the two excuse exactly.
3: you're giving us the two excuse to start cuz it snows in Alabama <laughs> exactly. sometimes <laughs>
2: exactly exactly <laughs> well to be completely honest the vibe i mean the locker room on sunday after the game like, after the win against the titans they were playing music there were the the players were excited um they feel it they feel like this could be the first time uh, in a long time since 2018 that they get, uh, clinch a playoff berth. They know what's on the line. And on going into the game on Monday, they're going to know if the Raiders lost, if the Jets lost, and if the Patriots lost, they clinch a wild-card spot. So they're going to know going into it if if uh, they're going to clinch it, but they know they need to take care of business. They The incredible part is the unknown because Nick Foles is now the quarterback so that's a little bit of the unknown uh, if, if Brandon Salian, the coaching staff is going to go back to his Philly days, to his Bear days on watching the film. But other than that, I mean, you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get a tough, uh, a tough team. Um, they're probably more dangerous after what's happened to them the last two weeks. So the Chargers know they have to be on their P's and Q's because this could easily be a trap game uh, going into Monday night.
3: Fernando, to kind of follow up on Brennan's question, not you, but but nationally, the Chargers are always viewed as as finally going to take the leap, at least in this Justin Herbert era, and and catch Kansas City. Those games are always right down to the wire. Again, even though they're second in the AFC West right now, they're finally in a position to get into the postseason and earn themselves a playoff spot. Well, what would it mean not only for for Coach Staley's job security and 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 just the job job security around the building, but also to Justin Herbert and, and his ascension into that conversation as a, a top-tier quarterback in the league if he's not there already?
2: Well, obviously, there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, Sean Payton has been he's been out there saying, oh, I'd love to take a job in Los Angeles. Uh, obviously, there's been a little bit of fire under Tom Telesco as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was firing them, and now all of a sudden, everybody's praising him. It's uh, funny how quickly things turn in uh, in the NFL, but uh obviously for Justin Herbert, I mean everybody views obviously Joe Burrow as the number one uh quarterback in that draft. And then it's kind of a toss-up between him, Jalen Hurts, and uh Tuotunga Now, Justin's been the one that's had the longevity. He doesn't get hurt, he well, he got hurt this season, but he doesn't miss games. Uh he keeps you in the games, he does a lot of uh things that uh, he makes a lot of throws that not a lot of quarterbacks can make. But for his ascension, he really does need to have one playoff run. Well, not one, but this needs to be uh, the first of many playoff runs uh, to start because it was um, it was pretty sad to see at the end of Phillip Rivers' career. I mean, I've been around the organization since 2013, so to see the end of Philip Rivers' career, not going to the, he only went to the playoffs twice in the last like 10 years of his career. That that wasn't that wasn't pretty to see. Well, he went three because he went one with the Colts but in uh san diego slash la he only went two out of the last uh 10 years so that was that was pretty sad to see you don't want that to happen to justin herbert you want this to be a competitive team and the chargers are one of those teams that if you throw in the playoffs they could end up being uh if they get joey bosa back erwin james back and uh And uh, maybe Rashawn Slater back. They could be a dangerous team because it seems like they're starting to get healthy at the right time. The defense is playing well at the right time now. The only thing, the question mark is the offense. Uh, Their third quarter offense is abysmal. They have not scored a touchdown in the third quarter since uh, week five against the Cleveland Browns. So that could come back and bite them but they said that they're getting it fixed that it just takes getting all these guys back on offense but uh they need a they, they still need to fix a lot of things before you can say that they're uh they that they could be uh very good going into the playoffs
1: Joining us on the guest line brought to you by The Mower Shop in Fishers and TheMowerShop.com is Fernando Ramirez covering the Chargers for the Sporting Tribune out in L.A. Fernando, again, we talked a little bit earlier this week on your podcast, and you mentioned a bit of an abnormal schedule for the Chargers this week leading up to Christmas. Do you think that abnormal schedule, I'll let you expand on what exactly it is, but do you think it has something to deal with not underestimating the Colts and making sure they're ready to go on Monday?
2: Yeah, so basically they're uh they're well they actually switched it so oh they did they are practicing yeah so they uh, last minute they told us oh Wednesday they're off uh, and now it's Thursday Friday Saturday so but they're practicing a lot later than they usually do so uh, and Brendan Staley's been giving guys days off um, he's been doing a lot of things to kind of save their bodies preserve their bodies last year they they didn't do that down the stretch and a lot of guys were Austin Eckler was tired a lot of these guys were gassed towards the end of the year. And that's why they went one and three at the end of the season. And I asked Brandon Staley point blank last week, "Did you do you feel like you learned something off of the run that you guys had last year?" He, and then he kind of looked at me and he goes, "Well, yeah, I, I I feel like we did. I mean, we learned that we need to preserve these guys' bodies, and if they tell us, hey, coach." Um, I'm feeling a little bit uh, tired today on a Wednesday. Hey, dude, sit out, practice, don't worry, just stretch. Make sure uh, you're taking mental reps. Make sure you're doing what you need to do to get ready for Sunday. And uh, and that's been pretty interesting to see. And, And that's the thing, people can criticize Brandon for whatever they want, but he really does take the players into consideration. He really does care about the players and he has their well-being in mind. So that's why he lets guys, uh, if guys need a rest, if guys need to get extra uh, treatment, whatever they need, Brandon's all 100% for because uh, he knows how important uh, it is to have health going into this back-end stretch of the of the season.
3: Fernando, we know on the Colts side of things, like any NFL team, is going to be people fighting for jobs next year. No one's going to lay down and quit. But at the same time, it definitely changes things in terms of what is going to be present on the battlefield when you take out Jonathan Taylor for the season and then now Nick Foles named the starter for presumably the rest of the year. Uh, What was the reaction within the building and just on your beat with those two roster moves the Colts made this week?
2: Well, I mean, the Jonathan Taylor thing, I, I, I mean, she kind of he kind of needs a break. And don't you think like just to kind of shut it down for the rest of the season, get himself back for next season and everything. And, and obviously the Colts need to build on that offensive line. But, uh, but the Nick Foles thing, I I think it took a lot of us by surprise, especially because I saw a comment from him saying, Oh, I haven't, I've only been the scout team quarterback and I haven't really taken that many first team reps. And you're kind of like, Whoa, really? Like that's pretty, uh, (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty interesting to to read that, and then I saw his actual stats, and he hadn't he hasn't played since last year week fourteen. Beat again. the Seahawks, baby!
1: Did, he beat the Seahawks. Yeah, the
2: Seahawks. Yep, the Seahawks. It was only one game, and then the year before that, he only played nine games. So it's been pretty interesting to see kind of the career of Nick Foles going from uh, from Super Bowl MVP to kind of not even playing. So, but it's still a toss to he's still dangerous. The Colts still have weapons on that team, so. The, the Chargers need to be careful because Nick Foles is a, is a guy that easily could come in there, and he could carve him up. He could be a guy that could throw four picks in the game. I mean, he really is kind of an outlier that you don't know what Nick Foles you're going to get uh, come Monday night.
1: Fernando, we were saying yesterday in the studio that instead of 20-yard Matt Ryan interceptions, you're going to get 60-yard Nick Foles interceptions. So the uh, safeties from the Chargers will just have to be ready. I, I want to talk about the Chargers offense, Fernando, specifically on a guy where we really have not known if he's been healthy all year, that's Keenan Allen. Can you get a sense if he's at 100% and really what happened midway through the season when he came back, then went to the shelf again?
2: Yeah. So Keenan had two setbacks during the season. Uh, One of them was a lot longer than what they had expected. The other one was really short. The other one was, I think he was out for two games and then he came back. The other one was four games. So Keenan missed about eight games this season and right now I think he's really starting to find his groove again with Justin Herbert, and uh, obviously that's not going to take long because Justin can really adjust to any receiver, but Keenan obviously makes things a lot easier. Um, but Keenan got hurt during the Raider game. He was expected to come back for the Texans game, which was about three weeks later, and he kind of felt a, a tug at his, uh, at his leg. He misses another four games, and then he was supposed to come back after the bye week. And I guess during the bye week, he tried to open it up, and he got hurt again. So he had to miss a couple of weeks, and then he came back for that uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, Sunday night football game. and, And he was able to play, but it was kind of on a limited role, So... Um, so yeah, so the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers, when they faced Kansas City this year, they haven't had both of their weapons. In the first game, they didn't have Keenan Allen. In the second game, they didn't have Mike Williams, and they had a, uh, probably a 75% Keenan Allen. So that's why it'd be interesting to see them. I mean, if the Chargers would be the seventh seed, they'd get the Chiefs right away. So that'd be an interesting matchup, uh, just to start off the playoffs. But, um, but overall, Keenan seems to be finally getting healthy. He told us on Sunday he feels great, and Mike Williams, same thing. They both feel great. They feel good going into this backstretch. Mike Williams missed about five games as well. So, uh, like I said, the Chargers are trying to get healthy at the at the right time. I mean, I've seen this before in the past, where Philip Rivers led teams at the end of the season, they would get healthy and they'd make a run at the end. So this kind of this kind of has a similar feeling where these guys are getting healthy. And like I said, if they can get Joey back, if they can get uh, Derwin back, and if they can get Rashawn back, then that that's just going to help them even more, because uh, those are three pivotal pillars to uh, the Chargers uh, franchise.
3: For Justin Herbert, Fernando, obviously we're only 14 games in, so it remains to be seen. It, it might be a tough battle, but... If he has three outstanding games and he plays in all three, uh, he could potentially get around his career mark for passing yards. But again, he's about a thousand yards back. So again, it would take three really impressive games, but the interceptions are down. It's felt like at times this year, he's more patient in the pocket, uh, letting things develop, not afraid to, to trust the offensive line. What's been your biggest difference here in year three of Justin Herbert compared to the first two?
2: So, and uh, just bear with me because some people kind of look at me like, okay. So the way I, I've seen it this year, every quarterback has to, at one point or another, they have to they have to learn how to be without their we- their main weapons sure. at times. That's when you're really going to learn what kind of quarterback you have. Justin Herbert was without Mike Williams and Keenan Allen for four games, and yes, they went two and two in that stretch. And but they went toe to toe with the 49ers, almost beat the 49ers. They went toe to toe against Kansas City, almost beat Kansas City. So that's the growth that you've seen from Justin Irwin. this year. Patrick Mahomes had to learn how to do that. Yep. Patrick Mahomes doesn't have Tyree Kill. Yes, he has Travis Kelsey, but he's had to learn how to get uh, how to. Uh, how to get it done with, um, with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, how to get it down with other receivers that are not Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill's is a cheat code. We all know that. But he had to learn how to dial it up. Uh, before, when I used to watch Mahomes, and people, this is where people get a little bit uh, weird out when I say this. When I used to watch Mahomes could throw a beautiful ball to Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kill, he necessarily couldn't do that to McCole Hartman, the other receivers. Sometimes he would overthrow, underthrow. It, it was a little bit different. But this year, he's really been on the money with these guys, and it's because he's learning how to be without his top receivers and uh, and he's really that's why I think Mahomes is the MVP this year because he's taken that next step into his ascension into being one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL and I, I really think that he's taken that next step and it's been very impressive. Now Justin had to learn how to do that this year as well without Keenan Allen, without Mike Williams, and he had to be with guys like DeAndre Carter, guys like uh, Michael Bandy, uh, who's an undrafted free agent out of uh, USD. And then he had to be with Josh Palmer uh, here and there, so it, it, it's been a, a tough transition. His number, his touchdown numbers are down a little bit. But I think in the long run, it's going to help him, especially if you want to turn into that Tom Brady, Peyton Manning guy who you can turn an Austin Collie into a star receiver. Or like Guys like that, you want, to, you want to be able to build on guys who maybe aren't the best, but they're going to help you uh, win games. They're going to catch touchdown passes. So that's honestly my fair evaluation. I think that stretch where Justin had to go without his top guys really showed you what kind of quarterback he is. And uh, I really do think the future is is extremely bright uh, for Justin Herbert.
1: Fernando, if the the Chargers make the playoffs, but let's say it's an early round exit, would Brandon Staley's job be in jeopardy?
2: I don't think so, just because it's about getting to the playoffs. Um, And honestly, what he's done with this team, this team has gone through the really highs, the really lows this season. And the team hasn't quit on him. So that's been very impressive. The team still believes in him. They believe in his message. They believe in what he's feeding them. So that's been very impressive to see. I mean, to be honest, like, and I'm not saying, uh, I mean, it it is impressive to see, especially with everything that's happened this year. I mean, easily he could have lost the locker room uh, at certain points in the season, and he hasn't. So that's been very impressive to see. So I think if they make the playoffs, Brandon Saley uh, does return as the head coach for next season.
1: Fernando Ramirez, he covers the Chargers for the Sporting Tribune, an excellent guy who actually met in South Bend while he covered Notre Dame football. Fernando, back on the West Coast. Fernando, we appreciate the time and hope you have fun covering the club the rest of the year, my man.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, stay safe out there, guys, and Merry Christmas to everybody. And I uh, hope everybody has a great holiday season and, and stays, uh, try to stay, stay warm. During uh, what's going on out there
1: with uh, the snow? Merry Christmas, man. Hope people don't uh, slip too much on that boardwalk, eh? <laughs>
2: hey, you. Hey, everybody needs to be careful. Caution out there because you never know what can happen.
1: <laughs> oh, Fernando, appreciate the time, man. See ya. Thanks, Fernando. Thank you. Fernando Ramirez on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the mowershop.com for all your snow blowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools
4: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
3: Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you. Last show before the Christmas holiday arrives. Our next guest via the Motor Shop and Fisher's Hotline and the motorshop.com you know him from his original days as the voice of the Butler Bulldogs. You might also know him as the voice of Madden as well as Action on Fox, BTN and Westwood One, a mentor to many a broadcaster including myself. And my co-host, the great Brendan King. It is the legend himself, Brandon Godden, taking some time with us today. Always appreciate you, BG, and want to start off by playing after wishing you Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, of course. Uh, where in the world is Brandon Godden? What's on the uh, what's on the docket for the weekend slate, my friend?
5: <laughs> Happy Holidays is a kind introduction. Good to be with you guys. I uh, I was at Michigan State last night, and actually, I just got to my parents' place down in Texas and going to be here for the next three
1: days just to
5: put the feet up, a little R&R, and celebrate Christmas with the family. So, looking forward to it.
1: Love it, BG. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you, my man. Uh, What's the post-holiday schedule like for you? Does it heat up pretty well?
5: Yeah, it does. I mean, basketball's full swing. I have one more uh, NFL game week 18 um, there in January. But it'll be a lot of hoops which is great uh, that's always for me the highlight is when you kind of you, you get out of that christmas time and everyone's down a little bit and I don't want to be done with the holidays but Then basketball heats up, and being from Indiana and uh, being a guy who grew up on basketball, that's always the time when people start to shift away from football and focus on hoops, and and that's a fun time of year. So it'll be, uh, you know, the last gosh four years now. I've I've had a mix of Big Ten and Big East, and that's that's kind of what it is this year. Uh, December thirty first, I'll be at Xavier. January 1st at Michigan, January 2nd at Purdue. So it'll be ringing in, uh, ringing in the new year on the hardwood.
3: BJ, st- stick it with a Grigiron for a second, uh, Brandon. When you're looking at the idea of a title race unfolding right in front of your eyes and I know that that can happen anytime you're uh, in different lines of work but in particular I'm highlighting the Big Ten title race uh, you have, of course were on the call for Iowa and Nebraska uh, just take me through that last stretch of play within the Big Ten Brandon of, of the stakes that were on the line for Iowa and then the fallout of course that happened uh, after your broadcast is that Big Ten title picture at least on that side of the conference brought itself yeah. into form
5: Yeah, it's crazy because you know with the Big Ten, everyone keeps saying on the football side of things that, oh, the East is great and the West is not very good. And everyone understands that, yes, the East has Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State and Ohio State, and, and everyone understands that the East has more talent than the West. But I actually think that the West is still a good division with a lot of fun football, and that played out this year. And and some people say, oh, it's just a bunch of bad teams who kept giving up the title and losing it. Okay, well, yeah, you could look at it that way. I thought we had a lot of fun games in the West that went right down to the end, and that includes somehow Purdue being able to sneak in when Iowa looked like they for sure were going to win the West, having to just beat Nebraska, who had struggled this year. Then Nebraska beats them on the last week of the season, opens a door for the Boilermakers. And even though Purdue didn't get it done against Michigan, uh, obviously it was still, a, a, in my opinion, a good season for the Boilermakers. And, and I know well, there, there were some mixed thoughts on Jeff Brom going to Louisville. But I, I think that that's a program that for so long was good – and then had 10 years of just real struggle and some dark times. And now I feel like Purdue football has gotten back to a level where it should be. And I think with their new coach, for those who don't know who came from Illinois, Mm -hmm. I I think that that they can have a chance here to not miss a beat and continue to go up and up and up and become a a force in the Big Ten year after year.
1: BG, in your mind, how much is the Big Ten as a league – going to change when USC and UCLA comes in and then you pair that with a 12 team playoff.
5: Yeah, it's going to change. I mean, it's just going to be so different. The there's in my mind growing up and just knowing the the delineation that we used to have between conferences and how those lines have been blurred. And I am excited for it. I truly am. Now, I may say this, and people may say that I feel otherwise. That's not, that's not the case when I say this. It. It's just when you think UCLA and USC, you just think what used to be the Pac 10, Pac 12. And that, I just never in my life thought that I'm going now 15 years ago, in my, in my wildest dreams, did I think that those two teams would be in the same league with not only, a, you know, an Ohio State and Indiana Purdue. But a Rutgers and a Maryland. It just—it almost seems like this bizarre world that we're getting ready to enter. But this is the new age of college athletics, and it's one of those things where, look, you can sit there and complain about it and pout about it. So, oh, I, I remember when, and I wish, and but <laughs> this is it, and, and NIL is here, and it, it's just—it's the, the reality. Now we need to figure out ways forward. I think that makes sense for everybody in that NIL world. But keeping tune with just the question of those teams and the Big Ten, what does it change? It just first and foremost changes logistics so much. And I understand that with the increased TV revenue, a lot of these teams are going to be able to charter out their private planes. And But still, it's just different going out and incorporating those schools into the conference in so many ways. I think football is just going to be an interesting I'm curious to see how the schedule works. I think that's what I'm interested to see the most. When do you play those teams? How often are you having to go out there? And let's be honest, are there more dominoes to fall here? And I don't have any insider information, but... At some point, does Oregon come in? Does Washington come in to stand for, I don't know, I think it would be foolish for us to sit here and say, no, everything's done and this is it. (laughs) This might be it for now, but I think at some point you could see a situation where more dominoes are falling and then who the heck knows uh, what happens. But look, here's the bottom line. For those who want to move forward with it and and be excited about it, this is a great thing, and and that's just kind of how I'm choosing to approach it personally.
3: Brandon Gaudin, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com. Go see the Motor Shop for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as power tools, equipment, and snowblowers. Going to need those here very, very soon at the Motor Shop. very soon as in five hours from now. Yeah, You better get going right now before this uh, (laughs) rain turns into ice at the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com. You can follow Brandon on Twitter, at Brandon Gaudin. Brandon, to BK's point, I feel like, at least from our perspective, we've been focusing a lot because it's still the... Know the top domino at stake of the sports season right now. We're focusing on the college football side of things with that USC and UCLA addition to the Big Ten here in a couple of years. How, in your mind, will it reshape or impact at all the basketball side of things?
5: Oh, it will. I mean, th- th- there's no question. And again, I, just, I think that sometimes we overlook the the travel. And even on chartered flights, how many times are you having to go out there and play those teams? And again, people hear me bring up travel and they probably think, oh, he's complaining that they've got to take a four or five hour flight out both ways. Now it's also a three hour time change. And you've got, if you're, if you're Rutgers and you're going out there and you're playing on a Wednesday, well, what time's the game? What time are you getting back? How are you handling the logistics? for all of these different sports. Look, football and men's basketball, they drive the bus. That's just the reality because financially right now they make the most money. That doesn't mean the other sports aren't important. Of course they are. There's some great revenue-producing sports outside of those, but those two have been kind of driving the decision. And to to think that it's not going to change – uh, a lot outside of just the fans turning on a game and seeing USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. It's just going to change a lot for these kids, a lot for these coaches. It's going to change recruiting. Now, recruiting has always or I shouldn't say always, but has become more of a national game for a lot of the teams in the Big Ten anyway. But does it open the door even more for them to look out west for kids in Southern California? Of course it does. I mean, there's just no question. And so I think it, 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 it while well, it's exciting in it's one way to say, wow, we get to open the recruiting a little bit more. It's a challenge to go out there and recruit a little bit further away from home as well. Um, so, look, overall, it's a positive. It's in, it, 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 this is a business. The stu- they are student athletes, and I hope that we keep that in mind, that they do have to go to class and all that. That's very important. But it's naive of us not to see this as a business. This was a business decision. It's financially more money for these conferences, for the conference, for the schools. And with NIL, that in turn is ultimately going to mean more money for these kids playing, playing these sports. Um, so hopefully it's, it's a net positive. I still think there are so many things that we have not figured out on the NIL side and I know you guys didn't ask about that but I just that, that's that's a world right now that coaches are talking about every day that we've got to figure this out we have to find a way forward that is somewhat more equitable and less chaotic uh, and, and I think that's where my focus is in the next 5 to say 10 years is when are we going to start answering some of these questions that these coaches are asking? uh, Because it really is becoming the wild, wild west in a lot of ways.
1: Hmm. Brandon Gawden's with us. BG, as you said at the top of the interview, you beat the Big East and the Big Ten. I think BG, when everybody talks about what games they do in the league they're in, they always like to brag about the competitiveness of it. But truly, when it comes to your work, especially on the hardwood, on a game-by-game basis, I don't think you see a lot of wars like you see in the Big East and the Big Ten nowadays, especially.
5: No, and what I was uh, last night on the broadcast with Bruce Weber, and Bruce, of course, was at Illinois, and he was at Kansas State. and he's, He was talking about off the year before the game, just the different conferences that he's coached in and the different stops he's had in non-conference play, and We were talking about the Big Ten first and then the Big East and just how the fan bases for college basketball in those leagues are just really good and really consistent. Outside of maybe I can think of a couple exceptions to what I'm about to say, but all of the teams in both leagues, when you go on the road, not even in conference play, when you're just covering them in non-conference play, There are packed houses pretty much everywhere, and basketball is a big event, and that's not the case everywhere. Sure, in the SEC, you've got a couple. You you know, you go to Kentucky, you go to Florida. There's some places where there are some good atmospheres, but there are some places in the SEC and the Pac-12, even the Big 12 where you can go on a Wednesday night in a conference game and maybe there's 5,000 people there. And you just don't really see that in, in the Big Ten and the Big East because there's such basketball-hungry schools. Uh, and so that, that, that just makes it fun. It's just, yeah, the old cliches about you know throw out the record books and there's no easy wins. Yeah, we, we hear all that, and there's a lot of truth in that. But there's also just an incredible appetite for the sport on a lot of these campuses. And to me, when January, February, and of course, March rolls around, uh, that's what makes these conferences so much fun to cover.
3: Brandon, kind of zooming out big picture within college basketball. I, I feel like this gets thrown around casually every year, but this might actually be the year that it holds water. Obviously, uh, Purdue and UConn both undefeated, but but across the board, when you look at the top 25 and just across college basketball as a whole, is this the most wide open that it's been to start a season uh, in, in, in quite some time?
5: Yeah, I, th- I do think this. I think that there has, over the last, call it 10 years, been pretty consistent parity, even though we usually have a few teams like, ah, yeah, they might be a little bit above everybody else. I would say though that this year it, it is maybe even that to another degree. So I agree with your point. I, I love Purdue, and I just I just think Matt is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 Purdue right now at number one. Do they have weaknesses that I'm curious to see if other teams can exploit? Yeah, absolutely. And I was there when Davidson was exploiting them. You know, when Purdue was not able to knock down outside shots. And they were, they were struggling. And so I, I think that the, the thing this year, even though Connecticut's good, too, is that you're right. If you go through each conference, there's not any team where you say, hmm, they are head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, Connecticut in the Big East is probably the closest example. But even when you put Connecticut on a national level, I don't, I don't think that they are just your clear top team in the country. Um, so it's going to be, this is going to be just a, a lot of fun to see how these conferences unfold. And and specific to the Big East, you know, for so many years. Even if Villanova wasn't the clear number one, they were just always kind of the presumptive, ah, they'll find a way. They'll be a one or two seed, maybe a three seed, and they're the class of the Big East. And I don't think it's fair to just say it's because Jay Wright is gone, because I think Kyle Neptune is a good coach. But it's just not the case this year. And I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward, but just speaking of this year, Villanova has a different feel. And so because of that, the Big East has a different, more wide-open feel, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to track uh, January, February, and March.
1: BG, no time like the NCAA tournament for sure, but I think we just saw again last year, not to bring up tough wounds for Purdue, but what happened with the St. Peter's story. And in your mind, with all this parody in college basketball, does a St. Peter's happen more often now, because of just the wild, wild west feel of the transfer portal, or is it just because that we just continue to see better athletes countrywide?
5: I think, yeah, I don't. I think the St. Peter's thing is cool. I think sometimes in our mind we romanticize this idea that Cinderellas are happening more and more. Granted, we had never seen a 15 seed get that far, and I understand that. So that was the first time. But if you actually just look. Year over year, at the number of, of upsets seed wise and teams going deep into the tournament, it's really been pretty consistent. Um, so I know we we you know you think about the George Mason and then VCU Butler, um, even though now Butler no longer is that cute cuddly story, um, and then to the more extreme St. Peter's. These have kind of always been weaved throughout our history, and I don't know that they're happening anymore. But here's what has happened in college basketball. is because of all of the transferring, and specific right now to being able to transfer without penalty, you're getting guys that have a good season at like a Towson or a Northeastern, and they're averaging 16 points a game, and they're done with their sophomore year, and other schools start knocking on their door and saying, hey, want to come play in front of 12,000 a night and compete for going to the NCAA tournament and national championship? And that's tough for a kid to say no to. And so you have these kids transferring up to places like, you know, you you name it, Indiana, Virginia, all these top schools. And then you have the opposite. You have the four-star recruit that goes to the big-time school that may go to Kentucky, that may go to Duke, that all of a sudden looks after a sophomore year and says, "Man, I'm only playing nine minutes a game. I'm averaging two points. Let me go to Drexel where I can make a name for myself. I can start. I can play 32 minutes a game and I could score 15 points. Five and maybe that'll help me get a career, if not in the NBA, over in Europe." Um, and so th- this this kind of constant back and forth that we're starting to see, which really started way before nil, way before, but now has just been just. Ex- accelerated, I think is only going to continue and continue until they try to find some way to to balance this out. Um, But that's where college basketball is really not only going, it's where it is and it's where it's changing. There is good in it for the kids, and I understand that, and I don't want to limit that. For us as fans, what's different is that growing up, knowing that you were going to see guys on your team that you were cheering for for three or four years and you watch them grow and develop and you knew their jersey numbers and their stories to me that was a lot of fun and that is just kind of the exception not the rule now and it just makes it hard you're kind of you're cheering just for a jersey when you used to cheer for a jersey and the kids wearing them and now the kids are so transient that it's becoming difficult so th- that, that's going to be something to see and track and watch over again the next five ten years to see how they wrangle that in um, but it, it makes college basketball certainly different these days there's no question about it
3: bren gott joining us on the motor shop and fishers hotline in the dot shop.com brandon Butler basketball holds a special place in, in all three of our hearts. My family had season tickets there for years. You guys are both alums, obviously, of that university. Just your thoughts on the addition of Thad Mata in his first season and the direction of the Bulldogs as they, like Brandon mentioned, uh, navigate through the ups and downs and the heavy counter punches that occur in the Big East.
5: Yeah, I think the start to the Thad Mata era is, is going good. Uh, you know, look, I, I everybody would like to be undefeated and have a couple more wins, but they had to deal with a couple, every a lot of teams do, but a couple of injuries that they weren't expecting. As they start to get back to full health here, I think it's a team that, probably won't win the Big East, understand that. They've got some very good teams that they're going up against. But I think certainly is exceeding expectations and can continue to exceed expectations. And I think you've got to give Thad here a couple years to kind of get his sea legs back. He was more or less out of the game, even though he was on the periphery. He had the health issues. Let him kind of get his bearings, get to back to what it's like to be at a place that's that's different from where he was, and also in a new league here, and start to figure out this NIL world. And I think that we're going to see Butler get right back to where they have been. Uh, you know, the I saw the Connecticut game, and that really was what opened my eyes to say that Connecticut's probably even a little bit better than I thought they were uh, with how they handled Butler, but but I, I still think, given that 20-point loss that the Dogs had there, this is still a team that, that, when they get fully healthy and get things rolling in conference, can certainly finish in the top half and make a run at a potential NCAA tournament bid. I, I was pumped, as you, I'm sure you guys were, when I saw Thad, was was being hired i just think it was uh, no question home run hire you bring back a guy who has the final four experience who has the pedigree who's been around who knows who knows how to work the system um it, it was just a great hire and i think we're going to see that be just bear out here over the next few years
1: bg here's what i'll ask you about our alma mater you spent a lot of time in Hinkle Fieldhouse. house i think your last year Colin Games was the year before my freshman year, so we just didn't cross paths at that point. But I remember we hosted a panel together uh, when you came back to chat with Butler Seacom students. That was a lot of fun my senior year. But here's the question. If you run into somebody and you have to describe what Hinkle Fieldhouse is and what it means to you and how special of a place it is and the person you're talking to has never been there, what do you say?
5: I say go see a game there <laughs> because you, you, usually people that hear that I went to Butler, they want to talk about a couple things. Uh, oh, wait. So were you there during the final four runs? Do you know Brad Stevens? And then what's it like watching a game there? And I always say, just go see a game there and you won't regret it. And whenever you're in the area, even if you're not in the area, make a detour. If you like basketball, if you like sports, Going there, I love the afternoon games with the sun shining through the windows. That's yes. magical. But even if it's a night game, it's just there's just something about the feeling there that is majestic. And I always point to several games, but the one that sticks at the top of my list was when Roosevelt Jones hit the game winner to beat Gonzaga when college game day was there. Gosh, it's now almost been a decade ago, which is hard to <laughs> believe. But, but there's a lot of times that I've heard that building loud that still to this day is the loudest I have ever heard that building, and I still get goosebumps just thinking about moments like that but it is it is a cathedral, it was always cool, it became cooler nationally after Butler made the final four runs and they did the renovation um, but it's just it's just a tremendous place to watch. You think about that, and then you think about, and I know people at Butler don 't like to give love to i u and Purdue. But, but you think about Mackey, Assembly Hall, and Hinkle. Tell me somewhere else in the country where you have three college basketball venues, each within an hour of each other. I mean, I know IU and Purdue are two hours apart, but you know what I mean. From Indy down to over, it's an hour. Uh, where you've got three places like that where you can go and watch college hoops. It's pretty incredible. And I think all three schools are going in the right direction, even though IU fans may disagree right now. Uh, and it's it's just a lot of fun to go to all of those venues
4: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
3: BG, last question that I had for you. It's it's a two-part question, and I, I will preface it that it is a little bit of a joke. Uh, first question, is there any truth to the rumor that uh, you're an advocate for uh, banning kick returns? <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, that's that's. I am all pro kick return. I understand the need to cut out injuries, but I get. I think the kickoff. Some people talk about eliminating the kickoff. I think that is so silly. You need that moment of running up to the football, kicking it, people taking pictures, and the excitement of that return to get a game and a half started. So I'm all about the
3: kick return. Well, the only reason I asked that is because how come you always beat me down when I fail to bring it out to the 20 in Madden? Because it, it, is, it has discouraged me from even thinking about bringing it out anymore, PG.
5: You know, over the last seven years, we've recorded so many lines for that game, and I do not remember 99%. Of <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> People are always angry at me for being angry at them for something. I'm like, I, I, you know, we recorded that in like September of 2017. I have no idea what we did. Um, so my apologies, though. My
3: apologies. You're okay, Brandon. I just, I, I joke about it all the time with my buddies. And it's a special connection, the fact that that, that, that me and Brendan know you, and, and we always appreciate your work. We always appreciate you making time for us and everything you do, giving back. To the industry. I uh, want to wish you happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. Enjoy it. Enjoy your feet up for a little bit and we look forward to seeing you throughout the college basketball season and at the close here, the college football season.
5: Yeah, well, thank you. And, guys, I just want to quickly say, in addition to happy holidays, it is so cool to see the success that you two have had and to think that you guys are now hosting a show in a market like Indianapolis already with how young you are. Uh, Your present is bright, and your future is bright. So keep it up. It's awesome to be on with both of you, and I'm proud of you.
3: BG, appreciate you, man. Thanks, BG.
5: Yeah, see you guys.
3: That's Brandon Gordon. Love that guy. Always, always, always great. With Butler, always great with every stop that he's made, and even as his career continues to ascend, always nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. You can follow him on Twitter, at Brandon Gauden. Of course, he is brought to us by The Mower Shop and Fishers and the TheMowerShop.com for all your residential and commercials mowers, as well as power tools, equipment, snow blowers. which as we joked about during that conversation, uh, you might want to... Go check with Polly and figure out if you can, <laughs> you can get something real quick before all snow began attacks us. Of course, that's at the mower shop in
0: Fishers and themowershop.com. From raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide, have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today You're participating McDonald's for a limited time.
1: In the drivehubler.com studio, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, apparently, and by the way, the A-list group of guests continues today, but apparently our next guest is such an A-lister that he can ask Eddie Garrison for his own entrance music. Man, that's tippy top. Which is, I, I don't know if I'd have the stones to ever do that, but this guy does, it's Kevin Bowen co-host of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10, every Monday through Friday morning. Kev, I want to, first of all, congratulate you, wish you a Merry Christmas to you and your family, but most of all, congratulate you on the Red spending $7 million on Will Myers. Woo! Congratulations, yes! Kevin! Woo!
3: Kev, we're going to the World Series. Yeah, uh,
6: Jimmy, I'm, I'm thinking about a Chuck Pagano congratulations so right about now after hearing the news of Will Myers. Yeah, um, book the parade. It's certainly going to happen. Can't wait for it. Uh, and by the way, just to clarify, a little Christmas fib from Brendan King there. Eddie Garrison, for what it's worth, texted me asking myself. <laughs> uh, oh. Christmas, dude. He, he lied. And he lied to us then. He, he, hey,
3: you can't throw and, that out there. I was giving you a little more authority. Oh.
6: <laughs> well, and, and I'm thinking myself, was that. Was that like the Clay Junior High choir that I heard there? That was a great little uh, children's choir re- Reentry entry from eddie garrison so uh joy to the world the reds will win 47 games next year
3: um were you also like eddie that you were surprised assuming this is a real quote i i'm assuming this is a real quote eddie if it's not then i've been fooled by you will meyer saying quote i'm excited to be a part of this organization they're up and coming close quote
6: yeah i don't know if he was getting ready for like the louisville bat season <laughs> or, or or what exactly he was going with on that quote there so great pr spin on it but um yeah, there's no really, yeah, there's there's nothing up about the other thing up is just pop flies after pop flies
1: after pop flies well if they make contact that's right well it is a pretty interesting day in baseball tucker barnhart is now a chicago cub brownsburg zone but kev shifting over to monday night football another prime time game for the indianapolis colts remarkably their postseason hopes lie on tonight jaguars and the jets on thursday night football who would have thought but kev now it's nick Foles under center your thoughts
6: yeah, former Jag, Nick Foles, now that I think about it. Um, I am I am good with it. Um, I probably would have opted for Sam Ellinger, but I am totally fine with Matt Ryan being benched. Um, there's a financial component that I've talked about quite often of a $17 million uh, hit to his 2023 salary that if he were to get hurt here to end the season, um, you would have owed him that. $17 million is a whole lot of money. You look at the free agents last year. I want to say Von Miller was the only one. Maybe there's one other. That their contract exceeded that amount. So if you're talking about what you could do with that money, obviously that's a significant amount for a team that has needs outside of quarterback entering the off season. Uh, again, as far as people get really nervous about like Nick Foles, oh my gosh, could he come out here and you know win the final three games? I mean, yesterday was the first time in practice he's thrown the ball to Michael Pittman and you know Paris Campbell and your starting pass catchers in a practice setting all year. So I I, I think a little bit too. Far to kind of crown Nick Foles as a guy that's going to go 3-0 and to end the season. Um, again, I would have opted for Ellinger. I think one other note on Ryan, and I guess to continue the baseball analogies, you know, Matt Ryan's fastball in September was not 95. It was whatever, 84. His fastball lately has been like 72, and that I think is obvious for all of us to see. I would say maybe the more disappointing aspect to Ryan's play this season, and by again, the Colts have not supported him in the way they promised. I think Matt Ryan has not given you anywhere near the advantage at the line of scrimmage you thought you were getting. You thought you were getting Phillip Rivers, chess match guy. I know where the free rushes are coming. I know where we can't block everybody. And I'm going to make sure that I throw with anticipation and get rid of the ball quickly and on time and find the hot reads. Colts haven't had that with Matt Ryan. So I think that's another element to his game where you just assume 15 year veteran, 37-year-old QB –
3: That would be a given, and it hasn't been. KB, I've asked this to a number of different Colts beat writers or Colts just general people that we've had on the show this past week, so I'm going to ask it to you because I'm interested in your take on it. Me and Brendan, I think, are in the same boat that even though BK would have liked to have seen Sam Ellinger and you were at one point in the boat, you'd like to see Sam Ellinger. The decision to go to Foles, to me, is as clear as day – telling what the Colts view Sam Ellinger as moving forward, that they feel internally they have seen enough and that they are maybe still on the roster, but they're not including him as as the answer at quarterback. Is that a fair assessment? And do you view it the same way that going with Foles the rest of the way is telling in their viewpoint of him as a potential answer at QB?
6: Yeah, I've heard you mention that. And I'm probably not totally there, Um, just because I think the decision-making within the organization right now uh, is very fluid in that Jim Irsay has made some of these quarterback decisions. And seemingly, this is Jeff Saturday making it. I I don't think Jeff Saturday gives two you-know-whats about Sam Ellington's future. I I just think Jeff looks at it and says, my resume is one and four right now. I want to win because who knows if this is it for me, these next three games. And, you know, I don't want my – NFL record, uh, you know, I mean his Hebron Christian Academy record is twenty and sixteen. He, he wants to try and I guess it's five hundred if you add all that, add all that together right now. So I think that Jeff's sole focus is right here, right now, and I think Jeff's natural, he's naturally sides with strong leaders with veterans at quarterback. I think that's very clear. Um, so I don't think it's like slam the door shut on Ellinger. Um, To your point, though, I I, I don't think they will or should view Ellinger in the light entering next year of like, hey, put him in a quarterback competition. Like, he can be a starter. Um, I thought his two games went fine. I thought the Washington game, he probably was a little better than I thought he'd be. The New England game, it looked like a first-time road start against Bill Belichick. Uh, So I'm not ready to say that. Uh, I think the makeup of your quarterback room next year in some way, shape, or form should be Ellinger. We're still under contract for two more years. Uh, Some sort of veteran in that room, and then a first-round draft pick, a quarterback.
1: Kev, I posed this question yesterday. With Foles getting the start over Ryan, I really don't think it's going to change a whole lot other than arm strength. Do you see Foles doing anything better than Ryan besides the strength of his arm?
6: You know, when you say strength, I'd probably throw just a little bit more, like, velocity yeah. in there. And, you know, that can kind of help you out on, you know, how many of those quick ends or quick slants do you just see the DB just jump in the back of Pittman, jump in the back of Pierce, and what you think should be a 70-30 advantage is now turned, you know, 30-70 almost in terms of a contested catch. So I would go there. I mean, you guys were all, and Brendan, you know, especially, I mean, you guys were all out at training camp. You know, Foles. Uh, there was no hesitancy in at least attempting some things. Now, it, it wasn't the prettiest looking. You know, it's not like Nick Foles was eighty-five percent during camp, and I know he had issues in the preseason games as well. So, I don't want to act like uh, just because Foles is more of a willing passer and a little bit more physically capable that it's going to be smooth sailing. Um, you know, I thought Jeff Saturday had a great quote yesterday. It, it's a sad quote, but it, it's it's a great quote. You know, at some point we've got to get the safeties further than seven yards away from the line of scrimmage. I mean, it looks like teams are playing the Colts like college football teams play Army and Navy. <laughs> it is just load the line of scrimmage and dare, dare them to throw it over the top. And that's how it's been now for the better part of the past month or two. Um, so I think that's where Foles can help you. And then I'll, I'll go back to something that, that, that I said earlier, guys. I just I just felt like, and I don't know, maybe it's scar tissue, maybe it's being hit you know, a ton this season. I'm sure that's played into it. I just don't think you've gotten much of an advantage from this veteran 15-year vet quarterback like you thought you would get in terms of processing, identifying, those sorts of things. Nick Foles has been in the league for over a decade. Uh, By all accounts, a very intelligent quarterback. Um, Certainly he's got familiarity with this system more than Matt Ryan did entering the fray. So, I don't know, maybe, you know, that that can
7: kind of help you out a
3: little bit there. KB, Eddie brought this point up yesterday and I want to ask it to you to the point about why Foles is out there. You need to over these final three weeks for guys that are either fringe guys or pieces that maybe will or will not be a part of this roster next year. I think you still need to continue to have measuring sticks because guys aren't going to quit. They're fighting for jobs next year with Foles' familiarity with the offense and just with his veteran presence. Is that reason or or at least a justified reason for going with him over Ellinger knowing that he gives a better baseline for those measurements? Yeah,
6: that's a good point. You know, something I was kind of mentioning is like, I don't feel like you have, the Colts have not had a functional NFL offense in months. Yeah. Um, And and I do feel like you have an attempt to get a little bit more functional there. Uh, Again, I'm not expecting all of a sudden Foles to come out and you know, he's throwing for three eighty and three, three touchdowns. And, you know, you're calling up the Philly statue people and being like, Hey, you know, we might need one next to Peyton here. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that, but I do think it's a good point that you bring up Jimmy and that, you know, some evaluation on guys, you know, something that I wrote coming out of the bye week was, you know, what do you want to see the final four weeks out of the year? I think playing the youth is something you'd like to see. I obviously get why the Colts are not full on in youth mode yet. Um, But I think you want to evaluate these guys. Bernard Ryman, I mean, what does he look like at left tackle? Um, Again, Alec Pierce rounding out that route tree. I would like to see more Jelani Woods. I feel like that playing time has been so awkward. The usage for him has been so odd to me over the last few weeks. To be honest, you aren't really that young at running back. I guess Deion Jackson, I I mean, I guess Zach Moss and Deion Jackson, I guess are fairly young from an age standpoint. But what I'm saying is there's no rookie there like there is a receiver with Pierce or tight end. With Woods and obviously the offensive line, you're playing Ryman, you're playing Will Fries at right guard. So, um, I do think Foles can help you out a bit there, just from a, again, are we a little bit more functional, a little bit more, uh, frankly, NFL worthy, and maybe you can evaluate guys a
5: little bit better.
1: Kevin Bowen's on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the MowerShop.com for all your snow blowers. You'll need them today. Commercials and residential mowers plus service and power tools. KB, hope you got everything ready to go outside when we have snowpocalypse later. But Eddie Garrison, Scotty Johnston style just wrote on the big right board no Kenny Moore at practice. How especially concerning is that that he has not been at practice when you've had the fourth quarter meltdown in Dallas, the biggest comeback in NFL history against you, and the Chargers team coming in where Justin Herbert can slice up a defense and he's got weapons like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen available.
6: Yeah, the other guy that has been watching the last couple of days, or at least was watching, I, I, and I just left practice a few minutes ago, was Kylan Granson as well. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I get Kenny's had probably a little bit more downs than ups this season and certainly has not had the type uh. of year he would like after. You know, being a little bit vocal, a little bit public with this contract situation in the offseason. You know, but you were down him and Brandon face on, on Saturday up there in Minnesota. And, you know, all of a sudden K.J. Osborne has the, the game of his life. You know, and I think when you play some of these teams and Minnesota skill group, I mean, honestly, when you look at Dallas, Minnesota, the Chargers, these three games in a row, that's one of the harder three-game stretches you'll play all year from a skill group standpoint. When you talk about running back, wideout, tight end – Those three teams, three in a row, I mean, that is some elite skill. And the Chargers has battled health all year long, particularly defensively. They're still missing a lot of key guys. But if you look at their skill group, to your point, BK, um, they're getting healthier at wideout. You know, Gerald Everett's a good tight end, and Austin Eckler is, you know, one of the more versatile backs in the league. So, yeah, Kenny's absence, I mean, at this point, it's kind of like you just shut him down for the year. You know, you're kind of getting – I know he's not on injured reserve, but you're kind of getting there with him, and – you know, this is probably a little bit more of an off-season question, but and a lot of it will depend on if Chris Ballard is still here. But if you if a new GM walks into that building, he's probably going to look at a contract of Kenny Moore, a contract of Shaquille Leonard, a contract of Ryan Kelly, a contract of you know maybe a DeForest Buckner. Although I think you're getting pretty good return on investment there, and you might have some pause or some second thought about that. So again, if it's still Ballard, you might not get that. The Colts have not been a very kind of cap casualty team compared to some others in the NFL, but I think anytime you win four games and you potentially have a change in personnel, something to keep an eye on.
0: Katie, how? Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba da ba ba ba. participating McDonald's for a limited time.
3: How much does the Bowen Christmas traditions and Bowen Christmas conversations get impacted if the Jaguars give us a mercy killing uh, tonight and put the playoff hopes to bed?
6: <laughs> boy, that is, uh, that is a great question. I have thought to myself, boy, could Jacksonville really end the Colts' playoff hopes in back to back years? Like, usually that doesn't happen, you know, like, right. that's, that's not how it's supposed to go. Um, yeah, I'll be totally honest with you. I don't have anything pre-written. I don't know if I'll have anything written off that. I might just save my material for whatever happened to that Chargers game. But it, 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 it it's just um, – it's tumbling, it's salt in the wounds. it's however you want to describe it, that – I mean, you're sitting here in the AFC South, I mean, they are pleading, pleading – I mean, every team, Tennessee is saying, someone come take it, like – we traded away A.J. Brown. Harold Landry towards ACL. Taylor Lewon towards ACL. Let's fire our GM midseason. Ryan Tannehill's hurt. I mean, now you're playing a rookie that, by all accounts, needs like, you know, at least a year. Um, you know, he definitely was not some four-year starter at some SEC school and was a plug-and-play guy. So, it's just it, – it probably more than anything, it's just it, – it, it's disappointing. And it's salt in the wounds that you have the AFC South looking like a nine-win division champ and yet you can't even get there, sniff it, have a realistic chance at it. Um, that, to me, more than anything, is just it, – it, it, it's disappointing. And honestly, if you go off Jim Irsay's words publicly, that should really piss him off. I mean, how many times did Ursay bring up AFC South and Tennessee to offseason? And if you would have told Irsay at the start of the year, Tennessee is going to be 7-7 seven and seven, and Jacksonville's going to be 6-8, and eight, with three games to go, you would have said, where do I sign up for? I mean, th- th- that would be a dream. And yet, they're there, and Colts fans
7: want to see draft order improve.
1: Kev, something positive. The Pacers just shoving it to Wally Serbiak yesterday. That was a lot of fun.
6: Boy, how good is Tyrese Halliburton? So good. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've talked a lot, and my love for Santa and Benedict Matherin, probably on a similar level. Um, But, man, what Tyrese Halliburton gives this basketball team is pretty special. You know, when you can pencil him in for 20 and 10, I mean, think about that, guys. That's 20 points, 10 assists. Let's say half the assists are two-pointers, half are three-pointers. So that dude's giving you 45 points of direct impact every night. That is Luka Doncic, Trey Young, John Moran. I mean, there are not many guys in the league that do that. And he does it. And he's very he's durable. And I just... I loved how we reacted to the Zerbiat comments. I loved him post-game with Jeremiah. And I, I just thought his composure, the 21-year-old guy that was not some heralded recruit, was not on the face of some deep NCAA tournament-run team, wasn't even the lead guy or close, really, to the lead guy in Sacramento, and yet he's come here and has taken the reins of the franchise, and it's got to be beautiful for Rick Carlisle to have that presence here. And, you know, the, 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 the question I had, I guess— is, you know, I, it struck me very early on. Oh, my, this is a really good passer, really good basketball IQ, all those things. This dude can score and, like, take big shots. Not be hesitant to take big shots. It's unorthodox. It looks weird. But I think probably, and I raised my hand, I probably was one that was like, yeah, oh, boy, now he can't be a lead scoring guy for you. But then you watch some of those moments last night, and you're thinking, again, the Pacers need more pieces, obviously. But you're like, this is a dude that you want the ball in his hands late, and he just has a great ability to know when to facilitate, when to take over, when to be a shooter, all those things. So what a, what a great, great win. I mean, you were, you were doing what a lot of people are going to be doing on their commute home today, 10-2, and two, holding on to the steering wheel for dear life there, holding on to that lead. But you got it, and uh, it'll go down as one of the better wins of the season.
1: Kev, hope you have a spectacular Christmas with the young family. Really happy for you, brother, and hope you have the, uh, the shovel and the salt ready later because you're going to need it.
6: You bet. I got it ready. You boys have been unbelievable these last couple weeks. Have a great Christmas to all of you.
1: Thanks, Kev. Thanks. That is Kevin Bowen. It is our last show before Christmas, so, of course, got to chat with KB on the guest line brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and the TheMowerShop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools.
0: Five. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating McDonald's for a limited time.
4: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
3: hour of the final show before Christmas arrives. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King coming to you here on the Fan Midday Show in the DriveHubor.com studios. Thank you so much for spending time with us here on Thursday. Be safe out there. Seriously,
1: don't mess with this weather. I was just verbally assaulted for my <laughs> in sync request. It's not fair. No, I I think the best Christmas playlist, Jimmy, is when, like we talked about during the break, when you can pair the new stuff, Buble, Bieber. Maybe an sync Backstreet Boys with the Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Dean Martin. That's some good stuff. I want a multi
3: generational mix that is gonna keep everybody happy because there's there's few people that are hating on Christmas songs, right? Like unless you're just not a fan of the Christmas season in general, you're gonna appreciate regardless of the era. A nice mix in that regard uh we segue now uh starting with, with a nice christmas question for the voice of the colts matt taylor Tay, your thoughts on christmas music thank you for joining us happy holidays merry christmas and uh was it a nice mix of of, of different hits throughout the taylor household growing up slash what you do uh, for your family nowadays absolutely absolutely
7: i mean thumbs up on christmas music um I think I think my rule on Christmas music has to be like at least two weeks out. I'm not one of these types of people that's like right. I'm not B1057 where like the day after Thanksgiving <laughs> it's all Christmas music all the time. I think I need to ease into it, but uh, certainly I think like 14 days or two weeks to 10 days leading into Christmas I'm all in. And I was thinking about this the other day too. Um, driving, I was in my wife's car and she's heavily into Christmas music. There are certain Christmas songs that need to be identified by the artist and only thus heard by that artist that made the song famous. Right? You get what I'm saying, like yeah. Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee, like "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree." That's a Brenda Lee song. No one else should sing that. Um, I shouldn't be exposed to any 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 other version of that song other than that because it's a staple. It's so good. Sure. So you kind of you kind of get what I'm saying. So I think every every Christmas song has the version or the artist that made that song famous and that's what I'm here for during the uh, the Christmas holiday season.
1: Mayte I'll double down on Christmas coming in with my own question give me a Christmas movie that you love and a Christmas movie that you dislike hmm.
7: all right hot take i've I really never gotten I, I've never gotten else I, I don't get oh, it. Whoa. Oh, man, it hurts. Wow, that hurts Wow wow. I know. I so I said you warned hot. us. You uh, did warn us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I. I don't get it. I, I really don't. Um, like normally, I say like I appreciate those that that like the movie. It's just not for me. Like I don't get it at all. Like it's just, and I'm a Will Ferrell guy. Like I've watched it start to finish, and I don't laugh one time. Um, I just I don't get it. Um, and then and Christmas Vacation, like you just can't. You can't not watch Christmas Vacation and just laugh out hysterically. Even though I've seen it 200 times, I did the, I did it the other night. Actually, got home from uh, Minnesota about 10:30 at night, and obviously, uh, you know, considering that game went the way it did, I needed something to I needed to watch something mindless, not have to think, and just sort of decompress. So I turned on Christmas Vacation and had a good couple of chuckles. Watched about halfway through, and just just a perfect Christmas movie, in my opinion.
3: The Elf thing is interesting because I have a brother that doesn't really like Will Ferrell; not a big fan. And I feel like there's a crossbreed of that—that that if you don't like Will Ferrell, you probably don't like I, Elf. I, I, but I like but you Will do Ferrell like him, right? Right? Right?
7: I, I do. I, I do like Will Ferrell. Just the movie just doesn't do anything for me. It's just it's kind of corny. And I know like that's that's the gist of the show. Right. Is, is you have to embrace the corniness and the cheesiness of it, which I've tried to do when I watch it. I, I still just don't. There's just something about it where I just don't laugh at all. I, I don't. I don't get the movie. I know people love it. It's like a cult classic. Sure. Um, it just doesn't do anything for me.
3: It's the first movie that is making me feel old because it looks older. Like, like not older, like classic movies. But like for me, growing up, like it looked like in that same era of new flashy right. movies, and now it's starting like to look
7: early, early two right. thousands. Right. Like you know, because I I'm the same way. I went to. I saw Old School, which is another Will Ferrell movie. I saw that. That that was right in my wheelhouse. I was like a sophomore or junior in high school. And that was back when people still went to movies in bunches. Like, you know, you got a big group of people to go see a movie. You know, your mom would drop you off. (laughs) Your mom would drop off. My mom will pick up before you got your license, that kind of thing. But I mean, I saw Old School in theaters like six times. And now that movie is looking kind of dated.
1: Love the approach on the movie strategy, Mayte. And Speaking of approaches, last three weeks for the Colts, Monday night football primetime again, taking on the Chargers. The day after Christmas, Mayte already been announced that Nick Foles is going to take over as the starting quarterback for Matt Ryan. Obviously, it's been a tough situation for everybody, especially over the last matter of weeks. But Matt, I guess taking out the even possibility of Jaguars and Jets tonight continuing a playoff chance what does the approach have to be in these final 3 weeks for a reeling Colts team after uh, a heartbreaking last couple
7: well you're just trying to you're trying to win and so you're trying to tweak anything that you can at your disposal and i think i mean listen anytime that you give up uh you know the the biggest lead in NFL history and you don't close it out and you only score 3 points in the second half and you know i think what we kind of forget about um, you know, from that game on Saturday, is that the Colts did score a season high thirty six points, but only twenty two of that came from the offense, and only seven of that came from offensive touchdowns. So, you know, the game the other weekend uh, in Minnesota was the seventh time this season the Colts had one touchdown on offense or fewer in a game. Right. So you're still having some offensive inefficiencies. You know, they were they were one for four in the red zone. Um, had to settle for field goals on three different occasions when they got to the Minnesota 10-yard line. And so, obviously, in a game like that, where you're, you're not really thinking like that in the in the first half or at halftime when you're up 33 to nothing, but, you know, the Colts could have been up you know, at least 40 to nothing or, you know, maybe close to 50 to nothing in the first half had they been better or more efficient uh, in the red zone um, in the first two quarters against the Vikings – but, you know, so you throw that in plus just the fact that, you know, you continue to struggle to push the ball down the field. I mean, I think the Colts' yards per attempt number this year is 6.6. And, you know, you only have three completions on the season over 40, all of them to Alec Pierce. And he wasn't involved very much in the game plan. Oh, I shouldn't say the game plan, but just didn't come to fruition in terms of him testing the Vikings vertically in the game. Um, on Saturday. I mean, he didn't have a single catch. Jelani Woods only had one catch for for 35 yards. So that was the the lone bright spot for the Colts, being able to push the ball and and take advantage of a a Vikings defense that just wasn't very good at, at stopping the pass. And they had given up a bunch of big plays. But Colts just didn't take advantage of that. And so I think all of those things just add up to, you know, we need to make a change. We've lost four in a row. We've lost seven of our last eight. You know, uh, Nick Foles compared to Matt Ryan at this point has, you know, um, more more pop, if you will, has a stronger, um, you know, has more strength, I should say, in, in that right arm. So, I mean, and that's that's kind of where they're at right now with three games to play, turning the offense over to Nick Foles, just trying to find something, trying to tweak anything that they can to find a spark to uh, go into the offseason with, you know, some kind of momentum on offense.
3: May say I've never been to Canton, so I don't know if there is a wing or an aspect with NFL records where they where they highlight big things, or if there was a section over there that highlights Frank Reich's comeback, but but now obviously that comeback record belongs to Kirk Cousins and obviously me and BK, a bit of a selfish question in that regard as as play by play broadcasters in our own right, and we obviously look up to you and appreciate your work. You know, I was listening to some of the call, but just from a mental standpoint, for me When it went 36-14, I started doing the math of with the way the Colts offense is playing and has played this year. This thing isn't over. There's a chance they could come back and turn it around and maybe steal this one. When, if at all, did that thought enter your mind as that game was going on? And just looking back on it, uh, what what was that like in the booth watching all that unfold?
7: Yeah, it was... um, I think I said this on the air. I don't think I've seen anything like it because... If you're going to give up a 33-point lead, two things have to happen. You can't move the ball, and you can't stop them, and they have to score, but they have to score quickly, and that's exactly what they did. So to me, things kind of turned on the K.J. Osborne 60-yard catch, which I know Joe Wrights was hitting this during the game and, and, and subsequently you know, a couple of days later on our Monday night show, but things from a psychological standpoint, really kind of switched, if you remember on that Dio at Dangbo taunting penalty. Mm-hmm. He got like a five-yard tackle for a loss on either Cousins or one of their backs to set them up second to 15. They've got the ball in their own territory. You're up big, and then they get stuffed the next play, and then the next play after that, so two plays after the Dangbo penalty, Osborne goes down the field, 63 yards. They throw it over the middle, yards after catch down to the four. I thought that was the one big play that kind of got them going. And so to me, as soon as it got to be whatever it was, 36 to 21, that's when it became real to me. And that's when the big plays really started to, you know, start to come, you know, fast and furious. I mean, looking back at the box score on the plane on the way home, I counted up. 19 plays for the Vikings in the second half or overtime, over 10 yards. They had four over 20, and they had two over 60, including Cook's uh, 64-yard uh, touchdown to essentially tie the game, to pull them within two, and then they got the two-point conversion after that. So it was just big play after big play, short-scoring drive after short-scoring drive. I don't have it in front of me, but I think the Colts had eight possessions in the second half. And they didn't have the ball for more than three minutes uh, at a time in those possessions, and none of those possessions went down the field longer than 26 yards. So that's just a perfect recipe for you know letting the team back in the game. Is when you can't stop the big plays and when you can't sustain drives. Um, you know, I just thought that the Colts running game just didn't do him any favors in the second half to be able to chew time and to you know grind grind them down and, and be able to keep that offense off the field. It just didn't happen and. Um, yeah, that that place was absolutely bonkers. I mean, I, I don't want to diminish their fan base because they have a really good home field advantage because of they, they have great uh, you know fans and a great crowd. But my God, that place is loud because of the PA system, the noise and the sound effects and the yaller horn and all that stuff. So just <laughs> a really cool environment. And then unfortunately, there towards the end, it was just it was a feeding frenzy and uh, just the the loudest sporting event I think I've ever been to.
1: Matt, how much does losing Jonathan Taylor early factor into the momentum shifting to the Vikings when they did get within those two touchdowns?
7: Yeah, I, I really don't think a whole lot because at that point you are running the game really well. I mean, Zach Moss and uh, and and you know he, he kind of spurt you know uh, spearheaded, I should say, um, you know he and Dion Jackson were that two-headed monster in the running game and they ran the ball very well for the entire game in totality. I mean, 170 yards rushing. Third time this year the Colts have been able to do that, but it was just situational football that really hurt them in the running game, not being able to – I think it was Jackson that didn't stay in bounds late in the game when the Vikings were in a position to have to you know, be forced to use their timeouts. So that was an opportunity miss right there, and I just think that's a young player not knowing the – the full magnitude of the situation, not being in that, um, you know, experience before. Um, and then obviously the Colts not being able to hammer the ball for a first down. I think it was third and seven. They, they decided to run it, which I thought was the right call to make you know more time come off the clock and make the Vikings use another timeout. But the Colts came up a yard short and I'm still convinced. I know this is not what you're asking me, but I'm still convinced that Matt Ryan got that first down. I don't, that was a horrible spot. And the two side judges came in. One of them actually had it for a first down. And then the other one put the ball, put the nose of the football, like right at the 35-yard line. And in real time watching it and then seeing again on the replay, like the middle of that football should have been straddling the 35-yard line on the field, thus giving the Colts a first down. So, um, obviously, there's so many plays that you look back and you say, coulda, woulda, shoulda when you give up. You know, a thirty-three point lead and thirty-nine points and a half. But um, I'm still convinced that was a first down. And yeah, just the running game just didn't come to come to play in the second half like it needed to in order to secure that monster lead.
3: Matt Taylor, taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show via the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop in Fishers, themotorshop.com dot com for all your residential and commercial mowers as well as blowers, Very pertinent, particularly for today. Power tools, equipment, so much more. The motor shop has you covered at the motor shop and Fishers dot com. You can follow Matt Taylor on Twitter at May Take Colts. Matt, when you look around the AFC South, and this is more for us than it is the Colts as an organization, but for you and and the vibe around that building, as you see the Jaguars now in a position to steal the South with the injury to Ryan Tannehill, Teron Davenport now confirming that that he's out for the rest of the season. How much will this season, not just before that injury but as a whole be looked at of what could have been and missed opportunities for this group?
7: yeah, I mean it's it's completely frustrating. The fact that the Titans are in a tailspin having lost four in a row, and I mean what what is, what is the uh, the Jaguars record? what are they six and eight and you're still there in the thick of it to you know contend for the AFC South, So the fact that you have all of that going on, and the Colts still are, you know, in the rearview mirror by, you know, three or four car lengths, if you will, if you want to make a bad analogy right there. I mean, that's that's the depressing part of all this is had the Colts just played better football and closed some games out along the way. You kind of sprinkled in, you know, from mid-October to mid-December. I mean, the Commanders game was, you know, an opportunity missed. Obviously, the, the Cowboys game where you're right there, you're down by only two, with the ball for a chance to tie it, you know, in the in the fourth quarter, and then, you know, the dam breaks and you give up thirty three points there in the fourth quarter. That was an opportunity missed. Um, you know, the Patriots game was incredibly winnable. Um, you know, they're a very average team, and you didn't come to play at all in that game. Um, you know, you're looking at the Philly game when you're up by ten against the best team in the in the NFL. You can't close them out, and so yeah, it's just it's heartbreaking considering that. This division is so winnable and so obtainable, but yet the Colts tonight mathematically are on the verge of being eliminated. That that That's what makes this season um, just unbelievable because and we were talking about this earlier today. If you go back to the start of the season, we were talking about big picture, all the parity in the AFC and, and how many teams are going to be in, in the mix to, to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season. You know, in reality, we said, you know, okay, you probably cross off at this point, you eliminate the Jets, you eliminate the Jaguars, and you eliminate the Texans. Those are the three teams that probably don't have a shot at making the playoffs. Well, guess what? Tonight, the Jaguars and Jets are, you know, they have a huge game on primetime with playoff implications, and we thought, how many wins for this Colts team? Is it going to be nine? Is it going to be ten? Is it going to be eleven? And no one saw this team being four, nine, and one, and on the verge of, again, the math and eliminating from the playoffs tonight. So, that's why the NFL, man, is the best reality series going because you never know. And, uh, you know, the Rams stink, the Packers stink, you know, <laughs> who would have thought that last year? So this is, this is just parody filled, you know, National Football League. And, um, yeah, it, it's frustrating because this is a very winnable division, but yet the Colts are still, you know, so far behind in the rearview mirror going into the last three games.
1: Matt Taylor's on the guest line, brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and TheMowerShop.com. Mate, I was listening to Bubba Ventrone's media availability this week, and he was poised the question, does he aspire to be a head coach? And I remember Matt Eberflus was asked the same question last year, shortly before he took the Bears job. Of course, both answers were yes. I think Ventrone, of anybody on this Colts staff, he's really, really put an impression on the fan base based off of what he has done in the last few years. In your mind, getting to know him and being around him, Matt, what qualifications can you already see in him that would make him a viable head coaching candidate somewhere?
7: Yeah, he's just steady. He's a really uh, even guy. Um, He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. Um, He's an easygoing guy. He's really easy to talk to. and, And I don't think it's Hard to understand why the players like to play for him because he keeps it real. He tells them when they're playing well. He tells them when they're playing bad. And obviously he puts a ton of emphasis on player development. And I think that's one of the things that got lost at the beginning of the season is just how much turnover the Colts had within their core group of special teams players. A lot of guys either were not retained or they left in free agency or got traded or whatever. So Bubba had a lot of new guys to train up and, and get on his level um, you know when you, when you talk about covering kicks and, and, and blocking on punt returns and things like that. So um, from that angle, he just really maximizes all of the talent that he has. And it, it kind of took a while this year for the Colts to get you know on par with where they've been uh, in, in relation to special teams in years past. But I think they're definitely there now. I mean, obviously when you, you know, have a bunch of good kickoff returns by Dallas Flowers, he's got 3 over 45 in the last 3 games, including an 89-yarder against the Steelers. Last time the Colts played on Monday Night Football, um, and then you you block a punt for a touchdown. Jojo Doman's been a core special teams guy. You know, Grant Stewart is is always up there. EJ Speed, Zaire Franklin still playing on special teams. Despite the fact that he's balling out from his middle linebacker position. Um, you know, I looked it up the other day. The Colts actually lead the NFL in special teams touchdowns since Bubba Ventrone took over in 2018. They have seven special teams touchdowns, and they also lead the NFL in special teams, or I should say blocked punt touchdowns, with four of them in that span. Um, and actually, that, that, that includes the regular season. They actually have one in the playoffs as well they got one against the Kansas City Chiefs a few years back on the road. So, no, this guy is elite when it comes to special teams in the NFL, and it doesn't matter what phase of the game that you oversee. You know, when you become a head coach, you just have to have, you know, uh, leadership qualities and you have to have, you know, that 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 you have to gravitate guys towards you and you have to, you know, have guys buy into, you know, what you're selling, and I think Bob Ventrone has those qualities. I think he will be a head coach in the NFL. Uh, hopefully, knock on wood, it's not for a while because you'd love to have him in, in his same capacity going forward here because the Colts are just one of the best special teams units um, in the last four or five years since he's been here. But um, I definitely see that for him in his future somewhere else in the NFL. Maybe it might be here. I don't know if if he'll be a candidate in the offseason to, to interview for the head coaching job with the Colts. It's going to be fascinating to see how that all uh, you know unfolds here in the next month or so.
3: Matt, if the Jaguars do take the Colts playoff hopes out to Pasture for the second straight year, in a row, if that happens tonight, we know this is a league where, you know, no no one's laying down. Everybody's fighting for their jobs. I know we've continued to say that this week, but it's important to stress there's a difference between what fans want, which is at that point. they probably want the team to lose. They probably want the draft capital to rise versus what the players want, which is their and coaches, which they're playing for their futures in this league. From your standpoint, as you measure everything out, how does it if anything change what you're focused on and what you where you want to see growth over these final 3 games once the Colts are bounced from the playoffs or if the Colts are bounced from the playoffs?
7: Sure. Yeah, no, I mean I just want to I just want to see guys close out strong. And and you know, I said it earlier this week and it, it sounds like at this point in the season, you know, where I think guys should be selfish, but you have to play for yourself. And that sounds like I'm suggesting guys be selfish, but what I mean is at this point, when your playoff hopes are so dim, you've got to go out and play for yourself and and know that you still have to go out there and give it everything that you have, and your tape is your tape. Your tape is your resume. I mean, I've said that so many times in the last month when when things have kind of got haywire here for the Colts, but you've got to play for yourself and your opportunity to come back for this team next year or a chance to play elsewhere in the NFL but you also have to play for the guy next to you who's playing for themselves as well, for their chance to be to be retained, whether that's for Jeff Saturday or a new head coach, whatever. I mean, I thought Joe Wrights had a really good um, you know, story the other day. He was part of that two thousand eleven team that was, you know, whatever they were, two and fourteen and you know, that was the Peyton Neck injury season and then Andrew Luck the the year after. You know, what Joe was trying to do was just prove to Jim Ursay, um, and, and the other powers that be, you know, for a new head coach the following year in two thousand twelve and a new GM the following year uh that season that he wanted to be a cult. He was good enough to be retained and and brought back to be part of that nucleus going forward that won eleven games three years in a row and he had to go out and just compartmentalize that this is a really crummy season. But I have to play for myself. I gotta play for the name in the back of my jersey, but also the logo on the front of the jersey as well. And obviously that's that's what guys are trying to do now. And you know, I talked with Julian Blackman earlier today and he's he's got the same mindset. It's it's another chance to play ball, man. It's another chance to play in the national football league, regardless of whatever whatever your record is, it's a chance to just shine out on Monday night football and play for everybody that brought you up in this game. You know, your peewee coaches, your high school coaches, all the guys that help you get to this point, they're going to be watching on Monday night, and so you got to go play hard, you got to go play well. And, yeah, it's it's a different dynamic for the fans. I totally get that because they want to see the Colts skyrocket up the board in the draft and picking the top five and all that. But, honest to God, the players don't give a a flying you-know-what about it because it's a chance to go out and play, and it's a chance to earn their money, and to earn future opportunities in the NFL.
1: Mate, last thing from me, we were talking about the Pro Bowl earlier, and I think certainly Grover Stewart will be looked at as a snub. But for me, Zaire Franklin is my ultimate snub, just considering – where he has come from, how he has grown, how he has filled in so efficiently at times for Shaq Leonard this year and then being upwards in the NFL lead in tackles. I think if you're looking at a guy, Matt, on that list that deserves to be in there just by the wealth of what they have done and grown in this league, Zaire Franklin sticks out. How about you?
7: Yeah, and what he means to the Colts' defense, he and Grover Stewart. And unfortunately, this, this is what the Pro Bowl is. It is name recognition. And it is politics, and unfortunately, you know, when you're four nine and one, regardless of how many good players you've got and, and how many guys are playing well individually, you're just not going to get a lot of Pro Bowlers on on the All Star team when you're you know so far under expectations and so far under 500. And we saw this. This is how it goes. I mean, how many years was Kenny Moore uh, deserving of making the Pro Bowl before he made it last year? He just wasn't a household name yet. And and same thing with. Shaq Leonard in, in his 2018 rookie season, um, he made first-team All-Pro and yet missed the Pro Bowl. It's because he didn't have name recognition yet in the NFL that year. The Colts, to that point, weren't on prime time a lot, and nobody kind of really knew who Shaq Leonard was at that point. And you know, he's kind of like this hybrid player where he's, you know, wh- where do you put him? Is he an outside linebacker? Is he a off-the-ball linebacker? So that kind of made it murky as well so unfortunately when you have a really good season and you're not i mean even though people around here know grover stewart and we know Zaire franklin around central indiana uh, you know when you're four nine and one these are not household names so when you ball out for a season it typically takes the next year for you to be on the uh you know in, within the, the the minds of the fans that vote within the minds of the players that vote And that's what the All-Star game is in the NFL. That's what the Pro Bowl is. It is name recognition, and it is politics. You're going to see a bunch of... I mean, J.J. Watt's a Pro Bowler this year. I mean, you kidding me? I mean, that's that's an absolute joke. But he's J.J. Watt. He's got name recognition. Uh, So you're going to see a bunch of guys make All-Pros second team or first team that didn't make the Pro Bowl, and it just sort of is what it is.
3: Yeah, I'm right there with you, mate. That's why I put more stake in the All-Pro list than I do the Pro Bowl. I know we've taken up... Far too much of your time. Uh, enjoy yet another, uh, I know you'll still have plenty of prep, but enjoy another non-Sunday broadcast, and more importantly, enjoy the holiday season. Merry Christmas to you and your family, and always appreciate you making time for us.
7: I appreciate you,
3: boys. I'm going to go watch Elf. Maybe
1: I'll figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> Give us a new maybe review. Maybe
3: it'll just click. <laughs> Thanks, Mate Thanks, Matt. All right, see you guys. That is Matt Taylor, the voice of the coaching. Follow him on Twitter at May Colts on the hotline brought to you by The Mower Shop in Fishers and TheMowershop.com.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating in McDonald's for a limited time.